to you. And so we are continuing this morning on week two of a series about the illusionist. And uh, how many of you have ever like watched illusionists on TV and been like, how are they doing that? And uh, I, I'm an analytical kind of person, so I don't care that something works. I want to know how. And uh, it's just the way my brain works. And so it's like, well, it's working fine. Great. Let's take it apart and figure out how it's doing that. And uh, so, I, you know, I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, just to watch it because I realize that it is not reality, but yet it sure looks like it sometimes. And, uh, you know, as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a great uncle of mine. His name was Les. And so he was my uncle Les. And as I was a kid, you know, a smaller kid, probably six, eight, whatever it may have been, uh, he would do this trick and we would always ask him to do it. And, you know, there were a bunch of us that were the grandkids at that time. And, uh, and so, but he would have a pocket knife and he would act like he swallowed it. Now it looked like it because he'd be, he had all these antics and I can't do it. I'm not going to attempt to do it, but, you know, he would do all this stuff and he'd be like, you know, and then he'd be like, and then he'd be like, where'd the knife go? And we're all like, I don't know. Like, where could it possibly go? And he'd be like, oh, it's right here behind your ear. And we're like, what? Like, you know, and he would do that trick over and over and over. I mean, we would, you know, we'd be like, do it again, do it again. Everybody's just watching him, you know, like, what's he doing? Like, how's he doing this? Like he, he, you know, how does it get from his stomach to behind my ear? You know, as a kid, you're like. Oh my gosh, like, what is this? And we never figured it out. He had tricked us, right? I mean, it it was just a trick. Yet I have very fond memories of that. I have very fond memories growing up of of running up to my Uncle Les. I wouldn't even say hi and be like, do the knife trick, do the knife thing, do the knife thing. Because it's the coolest thing because nobody swallows knives. And that's pretty neat to me as as a boy. And, you know, and that was a fun thing of my childhood. That's a fond memory that I have. Uh, of that, but how many of you know that not all tricks are funny? You ever had somebody play a trick on you and you didn't really want to laugh? You more wanted to punch them? Anybody? I'll kind of tell on myself when me and my wife were first married, I had this thing that I like to scare. Any other men like to scare your wives? Right? Anybody? I saw some very reluctant, like, hands go up a little bit. And uh, so I would always like to, you know, run into the house or whatever before her and get behind a door or something and jump out and scare real bad. And she didn't think it was very funny. And uh, one time I did it so bad that she, let me think, I want to be going to all the details, but I'd gotten home and she didn't know it. And at that time we lived in a two-story townhouse. And so she was upstairs in the bathroom. And so I, I realized like, I'm like, Hey, I'm home. Well, then I get halfway up the stairs and I realize she doesn't know I'm here. Perfect opportunity. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I was a newlywed, okay? So ladies, just give me a little grace. I have learned after this experience taught me this was not wise. So I creep up the stairs all quiet and all this. And she's in the bathroom and I get right up to the, like if this was the door to the bathroom, I'm just standing like right here. Like just, I mean, you know, and of course she's fixing her hair, doing whatever. I don't even know. She went to, what? Oh, she was blow drying her hair. She remembers this more vividly than I do. And uh, by the way, I, I shouldn't, this is my wife, Dare, if you haven't met her. I agree with Pastor John. She's the better part of me, no doubt about it. And uh, God has blessed me. And so I believe, you know, there's the great debate about who's smarter, men or women. Women are smarter, but let me make my case on why I think men are smarter. Because we convinced some really smart women to marry us, right? <laughs> so I'm a pretty smart man. Because I had tricked her, not really, but uh, to a degree, but I definitely, so this is my wife over here. We have two kids, Max and Mira, they're back there in uh, kids' areas. And so, uh, but anyhow, so back to the story, because it's worth finishing. 
So I get right up to the door to, to, I'm like, yes, this is my moment. It's like, you know, the crowning jewel of my scare tactic. And she opens that door. She screamed, jumped, cried, and slammed the door all in one fell moment. That's, that's no exaggeration. Is that true? It was like ninja. Like, I mean, it was just, I mean, like before she hit the floor, she, cause she didn't know it was me. Let's just say that was the last time I did that. We had a fun little conversation. She's like, David, that is not funny. Not all jokes or not all tricks are funny. You know, sometimes there are things that aren't. And so we're talking about it through this series about the illusionist. Now, let me, I'll just recap a little bit, uh, just kind of jumping on the end of what Pastor John shared. You're like, well, what what is an illusionist? Quite simply, it's one who deceives by distorting reality. That's kind of my definition. I didn't get that from anybody. I just took several things that I'd read. And, but that they distort reality. They distort, they, they twist it just enough where you're like, is that really? It, it's like, it's like a half truth. It's like, it's, it's believable enough that you're like, um, maybe, yeah, I, I think that might be true, but it's not true. It's a distorted view of reality. Another way you can look at this is that it's presenting a false reality or a false truth. Now, obviously, through this series, and Pastor John shared this last week, that, you know, there are lots of people throughout history, and yet the greatest illusionist, the greatest deceiver, if you want to call him that, is Satan. And Pastor John shared uh, several truths last week, but one of them is, is that Satan doesn't exist. And many people believe that there is no Satan, that there's just good people, better people, and there's a few kind of rotten apples, but, but the truth is, is that there is an enemy. And the Bible talks about it many, many, many times over and over and over again. And so we need to be aware that we have someone who really doesn't like us. Not only does he not like us, he's actually out to hurt us. But he's not going to come knock on the door and be like, Hi, I'm Satan. I'm here to ruin your life. You want to let me in? I'd like to bring some death, some destruction, some sickness. Like, please, can I have a bedroom? I'm hungry. You got a snack? Like he's not going to do it like that. He's much more subtle. The Bible says he's crafty. He's slick in how he approaches. In other words, he uses stealth. Just like I did that day on them stairs. I got all the way up there to that moment. And I scared my wife. Which was not wise. I realize that now. See, I've learned. I'm growing. I'm developing. But, you know, Satan does that, too. And just like it happened with her, by the time we recognize it's him, the damage has been done. Why? Because he's got us to buy into an illusion of something that it was a, a distorted view of reality. We were seeing something that just wasn't right. Have you ever had something where uh, somebody relayed a bit of information to you? Maybe it was a conversation. Well, so-and-so said this about you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe that they would do that to me. And then you go and talk to that person. They're like, that's not really how that conversation went. This is what was said. This was the content. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, what happened? You believed a a distorted reality. It wasn't the truth. It was just a, a, a version of the truth. Well, the enemy does that to us. So our intent is not to glorify Satan. Quite the opposite. That's not our intent. We're not here to glorify or to magnify him. As a matter of fact, we're here to expose him. He's subtle. He's crafty in how he works. And many times it's very stealthy the way that he does this. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, in the NIV, it says to, to be sober, to be alert, or be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, your enemy, your enemy, your enemy. Does anybody know who the devil is? He's your enemy. He is not your friend. He's not someone that you want to get in partnership with. He says, your enemy prowls. He's on the hunt. He's looking around like a roaring lion. It didn't say that he was a roaring lion. He's like. In other words, he's all bark and no bite. Let me say it this way. He doesn't have to have bite. The Bible says he's a defeated foe. But yet he's looking for what? For someone who is susceptible. To someone who has opened the door for him to work. It says that he is looking for someone to devour. Let me say it this way. He's looking for someone he can take advantage of. That's really what he's looking for. Is there somebody I can take advantage for? The, the New Living Translation of this same verse says that the devil is our great enemy. Not just like a casual, like he's, he's just one of the problems. No, he's the great enemy. So we need to be aware and to not uh, just write him off like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You want to know the, the devil's M.O., his, his objective, it's right there. He wants to steal everything you have. And I don't mean just in natural ways, although that can be as well. He wants to rob you of your peace, your joy. He wants to rob you of, of all the blessings that, that God has provided for us through Christ. He wants to kill relationships. He wants to destroy what God is doing, what God's purpose is in our lives. And yet Jesus says, my purpose is that you would, uh, to give you, a rich and a satisfying life. That's the purpose. So we have two very different agendas that are happening. There are two plans for your life. There is God's plan and there is Satan's plan. And the question is, is what decisions are we going to make? What things are we going to be aware of to decide which path we're going to take? One leads to life. One leads, leads to meaning and the other leads to destruction. But God will allow us to choose whatever we want to. He will. I mean, is salvation not available to everyone right now? That's, is that not the will of God? Yes. God's will is that all men would be saved. All, all men, women, children, every person on the planet would come to what? The knowledge of him. And yet not everybody saved. Why? Because God gives us choice. You know, I've heard it said that if you repeat a lie loud enough and long enough eventually it becomes accepted as fact or as truth. You know, this is part of the scheme that the devil uses against us. He just, he, he's persistent. He's persistent. And he knows he's speaking a lie. He knows that it's not true. But yet he knows if I'll just keep saying it and keep saying it, keep saying it. And if you never say anything to oppose it, eventually you will believe that to be true. Eventually, it becomes fact to you. And it doesn't matter what anybody says, you've now bought into a lie that is not true. But it's because you allowed this lie to linger, linger, linger. Oh, my wife doesn't love me. My wife doesn't love me. Why, my, you know, you never set out to leave your wife, but it started with, if she really cared about me, if she really loved me, if he really appreciated me, that's, see, that's a lie of the devil. But if he keeps saying it, eventually you're going to say, you know what? They don't appreciate me. Maybe I need to go upgrade. Maybe I need to go find a, a better spouse. 
It's amazing. My wife, or the devil has never come to me ever and said, your wife's awesome. She is great at this, this, and this. Never. But yet he's made many accusations against her and against our relationship. What do I do with those? What do you do with those? I mean, that's what we're talking about. He, why? Because he's subtle. He's crafty. He's working this. See, he works subtly through our thoughts, primarily. See, one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to place, to drop a thought into our mind and then convince us it was our thought. It never was. The Bible calls them the fiery darts of the wicked one. You ever had a thought and you're like, where in the world did that come from? Like, that's not even the way I think. Well, what is that? That's the devil. That's, that's an attack. And if you don't do something with that arrow, it will wreak havoc in your life. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 10, it says a final word, be strong in the Lord. Now, this is important. Be strong in the Lord, not in your own power, and in his mighty power. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. All the strategies. That word there in another translation is tactics. Be careful of the enemy's tactics. That means cunning arts, deceit, craft, or trickery. It's sleight of hand. One of the things that an illusionist does is they're like, hey, pay attention over here because I'm doing something over here I don't want you paying attention to. See, the enemy does that to us all the time. He, he says, look, 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 look over here. But I'm working over here. I just don't want you paying attention. That's the way that illusionists work. They distract you. And yet here it says that we're to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, let me just say this. If the Bible says to stand, guess what we can do? We can stand. Not in our own strength. It says, look, be strong in the Lord and in the power and in his mighty power. Stand up against the devil, against all of his strategies, against all of his tricks. In verse 12, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. And of course, right on the backside of this, it starts walking through the armor of God. In other words, you're in a fight and you need to be clothed for a fight. Why? Because it is happening. You're like, well, I don't believe it's happening. It is happening. All the time. One of my, one, this is probably in the last year, one of my favorite verses that I've come across. And it's in Psalms. And it says that David wrote this. And he says that God had trained my hands for war. I like that. Why? Because that became my personal verse. If I'm in a fight, I've got a trainer and his name's Jesus. And he already whooped the devil and he can help me whoop the devil. And he can help you whoop the devil. Why? Because I've been trained for this. I've been built for this. This isn't something I'm trying to do that I could never do. This is, I'm not telling you to do something that you could never do. No, you can absolutely 100% do this. It's not rocket science, but you do have to do it. It's not just close my eyes, hope he goes away, hope he goes away. My son does that. He thinks when he closes his eyes, I can't see him. Where did Max go? And of course I play it, but you know, sometimes we do that with the devil. If I just, if I'll just ignore him, maybe he'll, maybe this will just fix itself. No, it won't. The Amplified Bible of verse 11 tells us, it says to stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. 
See, one of the main objectives of Satan is this, is to deceive us. Why? Because if we're deceived, we can't see truth. And yet, John 8, uh, 32 says that the truth is set, will set us free. So he needs to deceive us to move us away from the truth. You're like, well, what is truth? Pastor John talked about this last week. Your word is truth, right? God's word, not my word, not my opinion, not your opinion. God's word is truth. And yet the enemy wants to deceive us to get us off course. See, he wants to convince us of something that God has not said about us. I'll say that again, and I hope you catch it. The devil's main priority, one of his main priorities for all of us, is to convince us that about something, or even about ourselves, that God has never said about us. I'll give you an example from Scripture. There's Gideon. He's in a hole. I don't have time to go into all the, the details of it. And yet Gideon thinks, I'm low, I'm weak, I'm just a, a, a weasel hiding out in a hole just trying to get lunch. And an angel calls, shows up and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of war. And Gideon's like, who, me? <laughs> like, do you know the room that you just walked into? I'm in a hole hiding. And yet what? Gideon believed something about himself that God had not said. And when God spoke through an angel, what happened? What God saw was declared. So you need to ask yourself, what lies have I bought into about me that God has not said about me? Because I promise you, we all have them. We all have areas of our life that we have bought into to lies of the enemy. And that's what we're talking about throughout this series. And so we need to be honest with ourselves, so that what? We can come to God so the truth can set us free. That's the whole, the, the purpose. And so I'd like to share with you two lies this morning that I believe are prevalent. They'll be up on the screen for you, but the first one is this, is that God could never use me. God could never use you. We're like Gideon going, who, me? The fact that, that, that God would stir something in your heart that's intimidating to you is proof that it's probably God. God will never ask us to do anything that we're like, I got this. I got it. No problem, God. Just sit back. I'll bring you the, I'll bring you the report of when I'm done. No. Why? Because God requires faith. But the problem is the enemy comes and says, who do you think you are? You're nobody. I know you're just like your daddy. You know, you heard your whole life, your daddy was good for nothing. You're just like your daddy. So if that's the lie you were told, no, you can't be a good dad. Because your dad wasn't a good dad. That's a lie of the enemy. But see, what? God couldn't use me to be a good father. God couldn't use me to be a good wife. God couldn't use me to be a good mother. No, I'm just like them. No, you're not. The Bible says you've been recreated anew in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Things have changed. But yet the enemy will come and challenge that truth. And then we'll believe a lie over the truth. And then we wonder, why doesn't my walk with the Lord seem to be what I hear everybody else talking about? So let me just share some truth with you about you. Is that okay? 
Because you need to know you. Not in a arrogant, prideful manner, but you need to know not just who you are, but whose you are. God doesn't make duplicates. He doesn't do reruns. He doesn't have seconds. He doesn't say, I missed on that one a little bit. You are perfectly designed for a God purpose that he has for you. All of your quirks are quirky to you and maybe to other people, but they're not quirky to God because it's design. It is. But yet the enemy will come and say, ah, you're just weird. You're just strange. There's no one like you. You know, there is no such thing as normal. Who determines what normal is? We're all different. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, this is really the call of Jeremiah where God comes to him and begins to speak. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. In verse 5, the, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you ever took your first breath, God already knew you. He knew your purpose. He knew your time frames. He knew every detail about your life. He knew what eye color you would have, what hair color you would have, how your personality would be wired, and why. Before you ever breathed. Before you were even conceived, God said, I have a purpose. And because I have a person, I need a per because I have a purpose, I need a person. This is the truth about you. He goes on, you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. Let's keep reading. Before you were even born, I set you apart. In other words, Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I had an assignment for you. I had a purpose for you. He said, before you were ever born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for I'm too young. And the Lord responds and says, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And do not be afraid of the people. For I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. See, there was design. I don't believe in evolution. I believe in uh, what I would consider to be intelligent design. Like, what does that mean? It means that there's something behind all of creation. Something, there's intelligence. Well, what is that? It's the wisdom of God. It's not some random cosmic question. The question is, is that God is intelligent and he designed me. He designed you. Psalms 139, it echoes what God spoke to, to Jeremiah, verse, starting in verse 13. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. God doesn't make mistakes. He made you specific. He says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I can't say that I've ever prayed that prayer. I've been more like, God, why did you? Are you sure you got this one right that you didn't cross some wires somewhere? Because, But yet David says, hey, I'm wonderfully complex. He says, your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. He says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, he says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even number them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. 
So the devil wants to tell you, look, you don't mean anything to God because if you did, he would be here. And yet he says over and over and over throughout scripture, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you forever. It doesn't mean that I always sense God's presence, but by faith, I believe he is always with me. Why? Because he said it. So even when I don't feel God, I still believe and I know that he's with me. So when the devil comes to challenge my identity, who I am, who God has created me, who he's created you to be, he will challenge your identity. Go look in Luke 4. The very first thing that Satan did to Jesus was challenge who he was. Like, oh, I can't, I I couldn't be used. And yet Satan comes to Jesus and says, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you prove it? If you're Mr. Big Shot, come on. Really, he was trying to shortcut the purpose of God. He was, he was really trying to thwart it right away. See, I believe that if we could take and read DNA. Now, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe if you could take the, the strands of DNA and stretch them out and read them like a book, that you would find purpose. I believe that. Now, I can't prove it and medical science can't unprove that. I've looked, but I believe it because we're encoded with purpose. That's why every single one of us has a desire. Why am I here? It's a fundamental question that every human being has. And yet the enemy wants to come and say, God can't use you. You'd be crazy to try that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. And he's not going to say, please, because all of a sudden you realize, hey, it's a priority him that I don't do. So maybe I should. It's a lie of the enemy. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10 says that God saved us by his grace when we believed. And we can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none can boast about it. Now, we understand this. Look, I couldn't do anything to fix me. That's why I needed Jesus. That's why we all need Jesus. Why? Because we need grace. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. How many of you realize that you're God's masterpiece? Masterpiece, perfection. That God made you, designed you, wired you a certain way. Why? Because you're a masterpiece. You're not a leftover. You're a masterpiece. He says he created us anew in Christ for what purpose? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God had good things in mind when he created you. He had good things. There was purpose. The Amplified Bible says it this way in verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship, his masterwork, his work of art. I like that. His work of art. Created in Christ, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So the first lie that we can buy into is God doesn't want to use me. Now, here's the second one, and this one's really personal to me. I mean, like, this is just so much part of my story, and I I don't have time to really get into it, but I believe very powerfully in what I'm about to share with you because it's it's my story. And the lie is this, that I'm broken, and I can never be whole again. I'm broken. I'm defective. 
There's something wrong with me. I was good until this happened. Up until this moment of my life, I was abused when I was five, eight, ten, whatever the case story may be. Well, I was fine until I dated that guy when I was a teenager and then I lost myself and I've never found myself again. And I guess I'm just broken and I guess I'll just never be whole. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a flat out lie. But I, I, I've done this long enough and, and I've lived long enough to know this. There's a lot of you in this room right now that believe that. I'm broken. And I, I come to church, I just, man, I'm just trying to do, but man, but deep down in your core, you believe I'm just broken. There's, there's just something in me that will never be okay. It's a lie. It's a lie. Some of you even get uncomfortable when you're even saying it out loud. Because you're like, that's my thought. I can tell you that because I've had that thought. Let me give you a little nursery rhyme that I think summarizes how we feel. This is Humpty Dumpty by Mother Goose. It'll even be on the screen if you're not familiar with it. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You ever felt like Humpty? Just broken. Just like, well, I, you know, I, I'm just broken. All the king's horses, all, nobody can help me. Man, I've been to counseling. I've been to this. And I'm not against counseling. I believe in, in counseling. I believe in getting help. But I also believe in the power of the cross. I believe, why do I believe in it? Because I've experienced it. So many times I believe in the church that we talk about healing of our physical bodies, but yet we never talk about the healing of the soul. Which those wounds hurt way more. You know, I have scars all over my body because I like to do dumb stuff sometimes and hurt myself. But you know what? Those scars don't hurt me today. They're a scar. They they remind me, oh yeah, you ripped your handlebars off and you fell over and you cut yourself and all this yeah, I have scars, but they don't hurt. But you know what? There's emotional things. There's, there's things in my mind. There's things in my soul that, man, they need the power of God to work. Isaiah 61. Let me share some truth with you. Isaiah 61, verse 1, he says, now this is prophetic. In other words, it's speaking beforehand about Christ. It says, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me, for he has anointed me. The word anointed me there actually is a, is a term which actually means healing oil. The, the anointing always comes to heal. So anytime you read that in scripture, you just need to know. The anointing comes to heal. He says to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort or to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released, that prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. Verse 3, he says, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. He's going to take what hurts and what has just seemed like it's burned to the ground and say, can anything happen? And God says, I'm going to turn that mess into beauty. He says, a joyous blessing instead of mourning. Hey, instead of crying yourself to sleep, God wants to give you some joy. Festive praise instead of despair. You ever been in a place where you didn't even have words? You just kind of like... Because that's, you know, that's actually a, a mental coping mechanism. Many times we take deep breaths and it's just a coping mechanism. It's psychological. Yet in Psalms, 
David wrote and said that you even hear the sigh of my heart. David said, hey, my, my sigh is a prayer to God. I love that. Anyhow, let me get back to where I'm at. He says, in their righteousness. We're like, well, what does that mean? It means you've been made right with God. That's all that means. God has brought you back and said, I'm not mad at you. As a matter of fact, I love you. I, I'm, I, I adore you. And when we understand that, he says, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted in his own house for his own glory. That God has planted for his glory. See, what the enemy has determined to, to destroy, to bring damage in our life, God not only will redeem it, but God will also use that to propel us into our destiny. See, the devil wants us to stay hurt. The devil wants, to stay, wants us to stay reclusive into ourselves. And I don't want to be honest with anybody. And I don't want to open up to anybody. And I don't want to tell anybody about my story because what would they think? That's a lie of the devil. Because he knows when what? You begin to open up that healing can begin to happen. And so he's like, if I can just keep you closed off, I'll keep you hurting. And yet truth, revealing it, brings about healing. See, we all know this statement, and it's been said many times, and I'll just use this one specific example. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. What a lie. I would rather somebody punch me in the face than say certain things to me. Because at least my nose will start feeling better in the next hour. But those words, they pierce deep. And they echo in the chambers of my heart and in the echo of my mind. And we all know this to be true. We've all experienced it. Because words have what? Incredible weight. They cause unmeasurable damage in our hearts when left unhealed. God wants us healed. I'll give you a quick example of this from my own life. Now, this is a very small and this is really not that much a part of my story, but it is a part of it that was significant. I was in college. I knew that I was called to the ministry. I knew that God had called me to pastor. I knew that, but yet I'd gone to college because I didn't have anywhere to go preach. And when I went and talked to Pastor Sam, he asked me that. And he said, well, if you ain't got nobody calling you, you need to go get an education. So I went to college. But about two years in, it became very clear that it was time for me to begin to pursue the call of God on my life. And so I'd spent time with my parents talking about it. We were all in agreement. And so I went to my, I was actually at a family gathering and my grandmother caught wind that I was leaving college to go into the ministry. And she was from a particular background of Christian belief. And this was her response. She, my grandmother looked me dead in the eyes and goes, you're going to be broke the rest of your life. Because that was her understanding of, of the life of a pastor. You're going to be broke the rest of your life. And my mom, I remember it very well. My mom doesn't even remember doing this. I remember it. I mean, I, it's like plays like clear. She came up and grabbed me by this arm. And she just whispered in me, or she goes, you don't listen to a word she says. Now, even though my mom said that, because my grandmother passed away just maybe two years after that. For probably 15 years, those words echoed in my mind. Let me say it this way. Her words outlived her. And there was motivation behind a lot of things. And not just her, but many things that had been said to me. And man, those things begin to, to really... Uh, push me in a direction that God did not want me to go. And, and yet, it, it really, it's part of my story now. Why? Because I had to get healed of those things before I could move forward. 
See, God is a healing God. God is a restoring God. God is a faithful God. And he will work. He is a healer, not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Yes, he will. It's who he is. You know, I, I want to share just a few thoughts this morning, uh, uh, just a little bit, break it down in a little bit more detail as we're wrapping things up. See, it doesn't matter how you got hurt. Because the fact is you're hurt. Right? Who cares how? The reality is, is what do I do about it? I don't know what to do about it. What do I do? I'll mention a few just to, because they may resonate. It may have been abuse. It may have been physical abuse from a parent or maybe even a relationship or, or maybe it was even in bullying. Maybe you, you got bullied in school, so you just thought, well, I'm an outcast and, and I'm a this and I'm that, and yet those scars still remain and they're still unhealed. doesn't matter what the story is. doesn't matter how you got broken. What matters is that Jesus wants to come in to rewrite your story. The story has been written a certain way. And maybe the enemy is the one who has penned that story for you up to this moment. But Jesus is saying, I want to come in and I want to write a new chapter in your life. Because I want to bring healing into that area. What the devil intended to destroy you, I'm going to use to touch many other people. And I will do it through you. You don't have to do it. Just let me work. Invite me into that space that you don't want anybody else to know about. And he may say, hey, I need you to go talk to somebody. You know, this person you go to church with, you sit with them. But every, I just need you to tell them. It would be the scariest thing in the world. But by being obedient, it opens the door for God to come in and work. This is how the kingdom of God works. See, I believe that I'm going to give you a couple examples of, of rewritten stories. Just a few phrases. And I believe this is how this happens. The first one is, I was down, but Jesus came and picked me up. I was in a pit. I was broken, but now I'm whole. Jesus rewrites stories. I was bound, but now I'm free. I was a prisoner. Well, he came to set me free. I was wounded, but now I'm healed. I was condemned, but now I'm forgiven. Psalms 103 verse 3 says that he heals all of our, that he forgives all of our sin and he will heal all of our diseases. That word diseases is not just physical sickness. It actually means grieves, which actually includes our soul. So the same God who forgave all of our sins will also forgive all of our brokenness. It's the same, same faith. The same faith it took to, to receive salvation is the same faith it takes to, to be healed. And you'll never be okay until you're healed. God wants to take our scars and make them beautiful. He wants to make them a new story that can be written that would bring glory unto his. He didn't cause the scars. He didn't. You can say, well, you know, I heard all this crazy things that God allows bad things to happen. You need to go read scripture. It doesn't line up with scripture. The enemy comes to destroy. God comes to save and restore and to bring back to its original purpose. That's actually what the word salvation actually partly one of the, the meanings means to bring back to original intent. Psalms 46 verse 1 says our God, our God is our refuge and our strength. He's always ready to help 
in times of need. Other translations will say he's our ever-present help. He's my right now kind of help. God, I need you right now. There's good news. He's there to help. Right now. Not someday in the future, not one day. No, right now. Go show me anywhere in Scripture that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to pray for you, but come back in three months and we'll see if you're better. You're not going to find it. Now, not everybody got instantly healed, but it says what? As they went, they got healed that day. Now, you may not recognize it that in that moment. You might. But yet, God is ever present. What? He's a refuge, he's a safe place. See, God wants to meet us in the place of our greatest pain. But he'll heal us every time. He will heal us every time. He's never promised that we wouldn't have trouble or pain. He's just promised that he would be there with us and that he would heal us every time. That's the promise of God to you. That's the promise of God to me. Look, we're going to have problems. We're going to have things that happen. We're going to have life. But God says, I am with you and I will heal you every single time. That's the promise of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?